Taking a cue from a modern campaign slogan, Armin and I are going to talk about making work great again on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we are here to help you put your faith to work. We want to inspire you to be your very best, to bring out the thing that God has put inside of you, and to bring that to life, because there's it's so much more fun with a bold idea coming to life, isn't it, Armin? So true. So true. <laughs> Kind of sucks if it doesn't come to life. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, that can be discouraging as well. And that's why we all need our weekly dose of inspiration from the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, every once in a while, uh, we take a break from interviewing our guests just to have a time for Armin and I to talk about a topic that's important for us to uh, dive into, uh, you know, kind of our own processing of something. And, um, th- and this week is one of those weeks. That's right. But it's a little different. Because I'm putting Larry on the spot. So, uh, Larry, you recently did this message um, to a group of leaders at one of the fastest growing mega churches in the entire country. It's getting a lot of notoriety. You had a crazy group of people there and they were enthralled on this funny yet very important topic <laughs> based on a Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, slogan, but you turned it to making work great again. Yeah. That, that was the title of my talk. I was asked to talk about work and you know, I was like, okay, so what, what do you want to say? Well, just talk about, you know, something about work. I was like, mm, you know, and there's all this make work great again or make America great again. So I thought, <laughs> you know, why not? I even, um, I created a hat. Not, that was my favorite part. I laugh out loud every time I see it. <laughs> so I got the red hat in the, in the uh, close to same type treatment. It was a little bit harder for me to find how to, uh, to make that, but I got the make work great again hat. <laughs> it's so fun. I don't know why people are probably thinking, why are you laughing? It's not that funny. It really is funny. Once you see the hat, you will laugh. I promise you. Yeah, because you're kind of expecting it to say something else. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, I, I think the reason we wanted to go through this is even some of the bullet points, the very, very few bullet points that you shared. I don't, so I don't actually know all the content of this. So this is f- as fresh for me as you, um, but just the few bullet points that you shared, I thought, man, this is really good and it's time to put you on the spot. So this is what's happening. So we're going to start out with the first question. Why is it important that we talk about this topic of making work great again? Well, I think, uh, you know, for many of us, and I mean, I mean, I think you and I just sharing our own personal uh, struggles and journey along the way. And part of the reason we did the reinventure me podcast, yeah. and part of the reason we did this podcast is that, you know, we wrestle in many ways about what our vocation is, what our work is, how, and, and sometimes it's discouraging, sometimes it's exciting and thrilling and, yeah. and, you know, it goes through that whole range. And I think maybe one of the boldest ideas we might deploy is in transforming how we think about work itself. Right. Well, so here, here's the thing is that for your generation, it's, even though that struggle has existed and it's a thing that your generation has dealt with, it's an epidemic 
to the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of the hard, and yes, it's an easy thing to make fun of millennials for or be condescending about millennials, but it's it's an actual psychological, mental issue that a lot of millennials have. They don't know how to make work great again. That we, I don't know if it's because we constantly have a ga- grass is greener on the other side mentality or whatever it is, but it's an actual issue that's hurting a generation and it's making it difficult for what's about to be the largest workforce in the entire world to not know how to make work great or how to be committed or how to go for it on in the long term, right? So for me, this is a fundamental topic for us to talk about. It's not something to just breeze over because you have a really funny slogan because it is funny. <laughs> but I, 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 even if you're not a millennial and you're listening to this, I promise you're surrounded by millennials and the content of this uh, talk is extremely important, especially if you can mentor someone to say, hey, instead of job hopping, let's focus on how to make work great again. And maybe that'll help you commit, right? Yeah. You know, I think millennials have a challenge that, um, you know, growing up, I didn't have when I entered the workforce and, and more, nor did my contemporaries. And I think a lot of that is because there's a couple of things that have, that, that are true of the millennial generation in terms of the environment has changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the internet and all, everything is happening at, you know, light speed. Yeah. And all, that represents so many wild opportunities. The number of ways in which you can become self-employed through some internet thing sure. is like unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that didn't exist as an option right. when we were considering vocations. And um, and then I think the, so so that creates a lot of, you know, confusion. Yeah. You know, what am I supposed to do? And what are all these options? And how do I sort, you know, so you, you have, you know, selection fatigue because <laughs> you don't know yeah. what what you may be good at and what what you should apply yourself to and then the other thing i think that millennials have in terms of environmental difference is that they see so many of their contemporaries being wildly successful you know you see the mm-hmm. zuckerbergs and you see you know, uh, you know people you Peter Thiel or whatever you know <laughs> but all these people making lots of money yeah and and very very quickly yeah you know so the media portrays all these overnight successes it doesn't portray all the people that aren't successful in trying their venture. And you and I both know right. th- the landscape is littered with entrepreneurs yeah. who weren't successful. Right. But we sing the praises of those that are, and we somehow nurture this idea that if you just step out, you take that big risk, that you will be rewarded. And if you're not immediately rewarded, then you become dejected and you think there's something wrong with you because you're not a millionaire by the time you're 25. Right. That's a problem for it many is. people. Yeah. I mean, you you can maybe fill a house with the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but you can probably fill a couple of cities <laughs> with the people that didn't make it. Exactly. And and even the successful entrepreneurs that I know that make multiple millions of dollars, that you know they they failed six times before they found their success. Exactly. In the seventh or eighth or ninth. Or yeah, and and uh, or people who you know really aren't successful until much later in life. Uh, Oprah Winfrey being a key oh, uh, case in point. I mean, point. It, she was not famous until. You mean she was in her forties? I think it was much later in life. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that stood out to me was last year as I was preparing this talk, I I saw a report from Gallup on the state of the American workplace that they mm-hmm. had conducted just uh, in 2016. This came out this last year in 2017. And they said, despite having, th- that is the U.S., having 70% of the world's best organizations, just 33% of the workforce 
were considered to be engaged based on their global or their global study. Wow. And that means that two thirds really are not engaged or actively disengaged as workers, you know, and, and that's so that's like, you know, look left and look right. And <laughs> if you're engaged, the people to your left and right, right are not, you know, and is disengaged the same as discontent and just don't, are, are they looking for something? It means, else? It, it means that they, they are not giving to their, they're, they're, they're not taking their employment seriously. I right. mean, and there might be some ways in which they, they show that we can, we can talk about that too, but they, they are, um, it, by being disengaged, it means they don't, they don't really put energy toward that in a way that they could. It's not fulfilling their potential. It's not sure. giving them what they're looking for. There's not job satisfaction, those kinds of things. It's a money factory for them. Uh, well, maybe, or, right. or, and maybe it's not even that for them. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, this sense of, of it's not being satisfying in some way. So let's talk about this. Why do you think people are that dissing? I mean, if you, if we're talking about 66% of the workforce, that's a vast majority. Why, why do you think? Yeah, now get this. That's the best it's been in the 17 years that Gallup has done the study. That's the best. It's that's been. the best it's been. Are you, so, you're serious. So, so it's, it's actually getting better, <laughs> but what? 60, 66 percent of disengaged American workers is the best it's been. That's Can you imagine what America would be like if all the workers were engaged? I mean, it might it, make America great. again. It might actually make America great again. That's why I'm like, you know, making work great again might actually achieve that campaign promise. Yeah, I hope we don't get too many haters from this. <laughs> so, okay. So wh why do you think people are so disengaged in the American workforce? Well, I, you know, I don't know why all of uh, the reasons why somebody might be disengaged, but I can see among the people that I hang out with and it's largely a Christian community. And sure. this is a Christian podcast, so we can speak about that. But I think in many ways we have a misconception as believers about work. And, uh, and, and it's founded on a, a biblical misconception. We think we're being biblical, but we're actually not. And that's hurting us because we have this idea that work is a consequence of sin. That if, if, we, hadn't, if we hadn't fallen, you know, if Adam, Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from the, the tree of the, of, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, yeah. then work would not be cursed. But th that's a misconception because it wasn't work that was cursed. It was the ground that was cursed. It was huh. the object of our work that was cursed. Uh, uh, before, the, before the curse, in fact, Adam had a, a, an assignment, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, he had, had lots of sex, had, <laughs> lots of sex <laughs> and go name a lot of animals and go name a lot of plants oh, the, and go, you know, fruits. Okay. And do, <laughs> well, it, it fill the earth, that's the fruit and then subdue it. Right. You know, that's a mission and that's work. And in fact, you know, in, in Genesis, it says that, um, that God, no, no plant rose up because God hadn't sent rain. That's his part. Mm. But there was also no man to work the ground. Mm. So from the very beginning, there's been a job there that was both God and man working together. Oh, wow. And that mission was there even before the fall. Mm. What happened in the fall was the ground was cursed. The object of our work was cursed, which means it... it it, our labors are more difficult, but our labors are still very much a wholly mandated mission. Wow. Wow. So do you think that Christians are less or more likely to be disengaged in the workforce? I don't know. Uh, 
you know, I think it depends on how you, I haven't done a, I haven't done any kind of sampling to know. Sure. But I do find this misconception among believers to be fairly widespread, you mm-hmm. know, unless you really think about it, we kind of think about work as another four letter word, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, I got to go to work, you know, <laughs> we don't actually say I get to go to work today. You know, I, don't, I get to create something. I get to make something happen. I get to enjoy a mission field. I get to find how my skills can be used. I get to discover where I might be lacking. I get to get some feedback from others that I may not like, yeah. you know, that could help me. Sure. We don't see it that way. We yeah. kind of see it as an endurance thing. I mean, and we have fallen into the cultural trap of seeing work as this thing that we want to escape on weekends. Mm. You know, we subscribe very quickly to another four letter word, TGIF, thank God it's Friday, yeah. you know, and we look forward to that and, and everything is lined up toward, you know, what are we going to do on the weekend? Because the weekend is our free time mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing that the work week is really our time to let the full expression of what we do and how God has wired us and the abilities that he wants to unleash in us and the power that we have in our work mission field to truly do what God would desire there. To me, that's bold. That's a bold idea. And uh, there are believers I know that are doing that. I met with one yesterday. We spent an hour and a half together. Great guy just met. And uh, boy, he sees his work in this way. He sees it as a total mission that God is aligning inside of him. He has while he's making plenty of money, it isn't about the money. It's mm. about the mission. Mm. And, uh, and it's just great. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. And I meet people like that. But yeah. more often, I meet people that are in this sense of survival. They, 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 they feel like they have to just make it through the week or they have to do something. Everything's tied down to a I have to mm. as opposed to an I get to. Wow. And so we see work as this negative thing sure. rather than as this positive thing that I really think as believers, we should recapture that conversation. We should recapture that word and we should make it uh, a, a meaningful pursuit. And it almost sounds like to me that there's a lack of responsibility that we're taking that we, it sounds like we almost put more of the burden of the responsibility of making work great on our employer. Yes than we do ourselves. But from what I hear you saying is that for work to be great, uh, a lot of that burden is really on us and the mentality, the attitude and the effort that we put towards it. Yeah. And there's no doubt that our employers uh, can make our work better. I mean, the environment better. They can make it so that- Inducive uh, for great work. Exactly right. I mean, that's as well as it could be said. And if we're leading in an organization, that ought to be our mission. We ought to be looking at how we can create an environment that is conducive to bringing out the best in people. Mm. But if we're one of those people that don't have much control over that environment, we have to work within the constraints of the occupation we've been given or we have, then uh, there's a lot you can still do. Sure. So let's do this because me and my uh, millennial brothers and sisters, we always need to be able to diagnose ourselves in some ways. I don't know why. So (laughs) (laughs) how do we know if we're disengaged? Is it it just simply an attitude that we have or is it something more than that? Well, I, I think that if I look back on my own life and here's a, you know, I'm this amalgam of having worked, uh, in a government university setting, 
I've worked uh, for a Fortune 500 company. Let's just be honest, Larry. I've, your first project was NASA. Yeah, okay, out of college, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've worked. <laughs> and I worked for um, uh, myself and other small businesses. Okay, so I kind of ran the gamut there, and I also have a nonprofit. So, in any case, I've worked in most of the phases of industry. Right, and here's the thing I found in my own journey through that, I found that there are symptoms of my own disengagement. Sure. And it's easy to think that owning your own business, oh man, that's got to be great because you know, you're, it's your thing. You get, you got all this freedom. You get to do what you want. I tell you what, I have fired myself more often than I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you know, you. and I'm like, because I am the most disengaged person, even in my own business. Yeah. It is not whether you have your own business. It's not whether you're working for somebody else. It's not that it's your mental attitude about how you move through it that is going to make the difference and here are the signs because i've done all of these okay. symptoms in each of those i yeah, mean so I like i said i'm going to check the, each one of these boxes the myself. context doesn't matter is my point you can experience this system this these symptoms no matter what right. and the first one's boredom oh, i mean gosh. you can just get to this point where you know you're just doing the same thing over and over again. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day. You know, yeah. it's like there's not much new to live for here. And maybe your job isn't challenging you in some way. And maybe right. that's the case. But you might be lacking purpose. Yeah. You know, you're not seeing a vision for yourself that's transcendent upon the job that you're in. You and, know. And so you're feeling bored. Yeah. You know, and what I've, at least in my experience, what I've realized is the people that are best at their jobs are the ones that typically end up being bored because they're so good at uh, taking whatever they have, making it efficient. And then the more efficient they make it, the less it requires of them. And they get impatient because they haven't gotten what's next yet. So in that time between making something efficient and getting their next project, they're dying of boredom and then attitude changes. Yeah. And it, and, and, Everybody has moments of boredom, I think. But when you when you do have that, it's what you do with it. You yeah. Know? And and do you engage and find a way to take your game up to a higher level because that's probably what you're seeking right. or needing to have. This, so that's symptom number one of being disengaged. Second is fatigue. You know, are you just like running on empty? Are you just like every day is like you're in the in the um, in the rat race in the maze and right. and you know you you know if I just stay at this a little bit longer I'll get these stock options and then and then and, and you just like or I if I put in another year then I'll get promoted and it's just this idea of I just got to keep this frenetic pace going and there was a time when I was working at Cray when I was in that it's like the the, the number of hours I was putting in per week was relentless. And Anna would say, okay, so when are you going to be able to take a break? Because you need a, you cannot work seven days a week, you know, every day of the year, yeah. you know, or every week of the year. And I, I was like, okay, well, I can see that this will end in two weeks. And it was the, you know, it's the proverbial quote that you get from the home builder or the home remodeler, you know, Shit. when will the project be done? Two weeks. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like from the money pit. It was yeah. always two weeks. Yeah. And the same thing happened here is like, you know, two weeks would come and there'd be something that would fill that two week window out. That's like, and, and that's what it was. It was that fatigue. And after a while you just get so burned out. Totally. And, and that will cause disengagement. Yeah, even even uh, if you're doing something that you love, fatigue is something that'll get you. It, it, it's, I, I just, I, even in ministry, I remember everything I did about it. And at that certain time, whatever we were doing, I loved it. I was so engaged in it. But I had my other things going on. And I, and I 
was literally putting in 115 hours a week. So imagine how much sleep that is. And I, but when, when you're loving what you're doing, you don't even realize how many hours that you're putting in. But at, at some point I crashed so hard that my, I, I wasn't even thinking rationally anymore. Yeah. And that's the problem with fatigue. It, it doesn't, help you think straight in any regard. And yeah. one of the things that I find that bubbles to the surface first when you're most tired, when you're most burned out, um, you know, is fear. Mm -hmm. And in that, it just manifests itself. You start to worry about all the stuff that you've been spending your time doing, which becomes this, this endless cycle because the more you fear, the more you feel you have to put energy towards something, right. which adds to the fatigue. Right. You know, another... A uh, thing that I saw that was uh, a symptom of disengagement is this, you know, uncertainty and lack of confidence. And mm -hmm. you've probably seen this. You mentioned it earlier with uh, with millennials, and that um, I. But I see it not just with millennials, and maybe that's because I'm at an older age group, so most of my contemporaries are a little bit older. But I still see it where there's this frenetic, you know, shifting from thing to thing. You're mm -hmm. still uncertain about what it is that you're supposed to do, and and there's this this. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you this nervous energy. Oh, for sure. About trying to find that thing. Oh, yeah, that's all me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like <laughs> it's like, you know, you're hoping that that next thing will be the thing, you know, and it's like um it creates this this again, fear that you're uh, missing out maybe, you no know, doubt. so you keep trying new stuff and you're hoping that it will it will create uh the outcome that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes that isn't the case until you've invested enough time in it. Mm. And knowing what you're looking for in order to pull out quick enough is the key to to, to pulling out of that. So is there any other symptoms that you might Well, there's just to... one more I'll mention, okay. and, and that is because it's hit me quite more often perhaps than the others, and that okay. is discouragement. Oh. You know, and, and there's a sense that, you know, you've you've gone down a path, maybe you've been in a job or you've been pursuing an idea yeah. and it's just not working out. Yeah, I hear that. And you, yeah, and you get to this point where, you know, you've got all the fatigue, you know, you've got a lot, some of the uncertainty, but at the end of the day, it's just plain discouragement, mm -hmm. you know? And it's that sense that you, you have that maybe you've peaked, your best years are behind you, yep. uh, that, you know, and there's underlying all that is just this loss of hope. Yeah. This sense that uh, you're, you're, you don't have much to, to, to really count that, tomorrow is going to be better than it was right. yesterday. And I, I think of, of all things that can kill a soul is when, when you lose hope, man, it's, it's, it is truly soul crushing. Yeah, it is like it, yeah. it affects everything. Your friendships, your marriage, the way you engage your kids, even if you have a job interview, the way you interview changes because you just, you, you you don't even engage in the same way that you normally would and you start faking. I mean, it, it that, that discouragement is a killer. It sure is. And it's the one thing that hope is needed to sweeten the soul. And it's, it's the thing that we need in order to um, really be revived. All right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So here, here's, I think these are the more important questions is that, as a believer, if we have one of these symptoms that we're talking about, what should we do about it so that it's not owning us? Right. Well, so, you know, the Bible says that we're to take every thought captive uh, to the obedience of Christ. And if we are going to make any change in we, we have any of these symptoms, 
we need to start with what is true. What do we know? What does the Bible tell us? What does God say about our work and our purpose? And we have to start there. If we're not grounded on on good truth, then it it doesn't matter what tactics we deploy. We'll always rush back to standing on false ground. Right. And the the commonality of all those symptoms that I just described to you, Armin, is that they're based on a false read of our circumstances. Hmm. And they're not grounded in the reality of truth. And so we've got to explore that. And I see three principles from the Bible on making work great again. And the first is this. Well, before you go yeah, there, okay, go let, 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 let's talk about that. So you basically, what our perception of our situation is, is not reality, um, or it's not like a biblical reality. Is that what you're kind of saying that we're having? Well, we're, we're looking at what's happening to us. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're predicting what's going to happen in the future that like, I guess we're, it's despairing or I've got to stick with this. I've just got to repeat the thing we're making our, we're limiting our choices sure, because of the circumstances that we're in our read of the circumstances. Mm. And what I'm saying is, is they're not necessarily grounded in truth. You know, so we're just responding and reacting. Sure, it's like being in the the maze, and we're saying, you know, these are, I've got these constraints, and these constraints are keeping me from doing something. So, how do you decipher what is truth then? Well, we got to come back to looking at what are some of the principles that in God's Word that we need to grab a hold of. Okay, so that's where there. I think there are three. First one is that it's not about you. And I mean, we've talked about this many times before, sure. but you know, this is the thing that daily we got to remind ourselves, you know, this, this isn't about me. We've got a master. And in fact, you know, if Lord, if Jesus is Lord, then by definition, he is the master, right? Mm, yeah. And that means we need to do what he did and what he did more than anyone, right? When he was living on earth was he went counterculture. He, he, he defied expectations yeah. of what, was to be. And I think that we have to defy similar expectations in our work setting. And there are two that I think that we generally have to just purpose ourselves to defy. One is that we're expecting comfort. Mm. You know, we, we have grown up with the McDonald's, you deserve a break today jingle. And, uh, and, and we think that, hey, I actually do deserve a break today. I've been yeah. working hard and it creates this demandingness mentality that I ought to have things come my way. Mm. I deserve that break. I deserve this. I deserve that raise. I deserve that promotion. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. We have this demandingness mentality that Jesus did not exhibit. Mm. Just didn't. I mean, and, and, and we need to emulate that. And the second thing is... That's tough, man. You know, yeah, tough, I, isn't it? I, I'm surprised you don't get punched by millennials when you say... <laughs> well, what or anybody mean? for that matter. Because, I mean, I have the same... I'm infected with the same disease as yeah. the rest of us, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'd like it to go easy, too. You know, and I've said to myself, why does it always seem that this is that hard? Yeah. You know, and, and that's stop expecting comfort. Oof. Second is stop expecting praise. Oh man. And that's often harder because that's what we try to work toward. And, and you think I'm in a work environment. I want to do my best. I should expect them to tell me when I'm doing my best. But you know, God is the audience of one. We only work to please the audience of one. And if no one else would ever notice what we do in our work setting, would we do it any differently? Hmm. Are we building Ooh, that's the, tough. The, are we building what, what we are building in honor of God, 
or are we doing it to seek the praise of men? And Jesus, of course, had plenty of words about those who seek the praise of men. 2010 to 2013, I remember reading the researches that were coming out every year um, based on what what are the top five um, I don't remember what word to use, but what are the five type uh, five things that uh, every employee looks for to have work satisfaction? And I think seven out of the ten that I saw, number one that was listed was uh, recognition, and usually at the bottom of the list was money. Mm-hmm. And so that 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 that's a mm-hmm. tough one to swallow when vast majority. I mean, I'm talking in the eighty percentile of Americans, the number one thing they look for is recognition. Yeah. That's tough. That's a bit tough pill to swallow. Now you want to take that and apply it even, you know, let's take the game a little bit higher. You know, if, if the antidote here to understanding that we've got a master, so we're going to go counterculture by not seeking comfort and not seeking praise, then double down on that and say, if we really want to be like Jesus, then we give the things that we're going to stop expecting. So we're going to give comfort where we can. Mm. We're going to give praise where we can, everywhere we can. If there's somebody that needs a burden to be lifted, we're going to lift it. If mm. there's somebody that needs a word of encouragement, we're going to give it. Mm. And and we can do that in our very work setting. We can do that with the very people to whom we feel like they're not giving us comfort, they're not giving us praise. Now that would be what Jesus would do. And that would be mm. remembering that we serve a master, we don't serve a boss. Mm. Not an earthly boss. We serve a master, a heavenly one. And uh, and that is making work great again. And that's the first principle. It's not about you. You have a master. Second idea, that truth that we need to keep in mind is that, you know, this idea of work, it's in our DNA. Mm. I mean, it was there from the very beginning, as, you know, we talked about earlier yeah. in this episode. And we're designed for it. That means he's given us a mission. If you remember in Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus describes the parable of the minas and he gives a mina to each of his, the king gives a mina to each of his 10 servants and you're to go off and invest it. Mm. And the only servant to which the king had a harsh word was the one who did what? Just hit it. Hit it. Yeah. yeah. It laid it up in a piece of cloth and didn't do anything. And the king said, why, why didn't you just take it to a bank? I mean, if you just did the least, which is just Give some, give it to somebody else to do something with it. Yeah, it would have returned more, and you wouldn't have gotten criticism. Right. In fact, if you think about it and look at that passage, one of the things that stands out to me is there was no comparison, you know, between those who went with their mina and earned ten more, and those who went with their mina and earned three. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was rewarded, that that was praised, was effort. It wasn't the it wasn't the amount of return. It was the fact that you did something with it. Yeah. And so, you know, each of us by corollary have been given a gift. We've been given a mission. And the issue isn't how big is the return on our mission. The issue is, are we out generating a return on our mission? Mm. And we leave it to God to show to give the rest. And our praise is is from him is is not based on the size of that we have amassed, the number of followers that we have, the, the amount that we've been able to give away. It is the fact that we are daily f- deploying what it is that he's been giving us. Right. The um, only one to get a criticism was that the one that did nothing and did nothing out of fear. Great. 
<laughs> it's always fear. Uh, yeah, you know, you that go. reminds me of uh, a proverb that I, I think every millennial will always hate is it says those who work their land have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Yes. And, and I think it's regardless if you have a negative fantasy or a positive fantasy, but if you're as long as it's based on the fantasy rather than the work, then you're not going to get much out of life. Yeah. That's kind of what I hear you say. And that was turn, turned into a Chinese proverb that I got from a fortune cookie one time that said, sell rather than be poor. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. All right, what else? All right, so the, the last thing I think from a from a belief perspective is, first of all, you have a master, right? So, I mean, it's not about you. Secondly, it's in your DNA, so you've got a mission. And the third is, you've got a mystery. And this is a hunt, a proverb says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of Kings. And so we are to present ourselves in this game that God is like playing a little bit of hide and seek in a sense that the mission is yet to be uncovered. And do we desire it enough that we are going to be an explorer and go out and seek it? Mm. It's not like God is hiding. It's like, like he's got this wonderful thing out there for us to explore. And what that means is there's no perfect plan. There's a lot of ways in which we can execute this, but it all has to be dependent on God. And part of the mystery of all this is in its final reward. You know, and we what don't do you know what that's going to look like. Well, go back to that parable that we talked about, the sure. parable of the minus, right? Yeah. Now, if if you were one of the servants that received a mina. Let's say, Armin, that you took that mina and you went out, it, let's let's put it in real money, yeah. right? You took that $100, right? Yeah. And you went out and you made 10 times that, right? So sure. you brought back a thousand bucks. Yeah. All right. So now you got a thousand bucks and you're bringing it back to the investor and you say, hey, this was my return. Now, what would your expectation be as a reward for having generated that return? I, I, I don't know. I mean- 10% cut, let's just say. Yeah. So, sure. I mean, that's natural. Yeah. 10%. Yeah. All right. Now, if you gave that back to me, let's just say I was the investor. I gave you a hundred bucks and you brought back and said, hey, Larry, I brought you a thousand, a thousand bucks. bucks back. Now, if I had the ability to do this, this is what the king says. Hey, Armin, great job. You go pick 10 cities. Do you like Paris or London? <laughs> How about New York? What's your favorite city, Armin? If you had a city that you could oversee and own and be the ruler of, yeah. what, what city would you pick? I don't know, probably somewhere in Italy. <laughs> okay, an Italian city, right? Probably not Bartlesville, Oklahoma or you know, some other place. But, but you know, here's the thing. He gave to the, the servants a reward that was, in the words of Ephesians 3.20, beyond all they could ask or imagine. Wow. It wasn't proportional to what they did. And sometimes we think we'd like to see a like return. Like we say, okay, I've started my business and I want to do it to the glory of God. And I want to, you know, I want to tithe and I want to, you know, be thoughtful about how I conduct my business affairs. And I want to do that in a Christian way. So my reward will be that God will bless my business mm. with economic prosperity. No, see, that's a kind for kind reward. That is not what the Bible says we should have in terms of an expectation, he's going to give a, an unkind and unimaginable reward hmm. that we cannot predict in a way that w will astonish us. And we don't know what that looks like. That's part of the mystery. Wow. That we don't know because he's going to set this up in such a way that we're going to go, oh, 
literally my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. And far beyond the contribution, the little contribution that I gave you, because if I gave you 10 cities for exchanging 10 minas, which was even a lot less than a thousand dollars, right? If I gave you 10 cities for that, you yeah. just go, wait a minute, somebody's off their rocker. And that is the generosity of God. That's how he works. Wow. Can't outgive God. No. <laughs> and you can't Gosh. predict his and you return. Can't predict, yeah. And you can't predict his return. All right. So here, here's what I... I always care about the most because it's, it's, it's actionable. So what are some of the practical things that we can do to make work great again? Well, I think, um, there are many things, but I think five come to mind for me. Okay. Uh, first is, and we talked about this a little bit before, but first decide that you're going to serve others. There was a huge transformation in how I felt about my work at Cray. The day that I realized that instead of trying to get what I need or what I want, I'm going to try to understand what my boss wants and what mm. my boss needs. And I'm going to align to her needs and expectations, and I'm going to try to serve her as best I can. Okay. That was a huge kind of mental shift for me. And it wasn't long thereafter that I got promoted into her role when she left the company. Wow. And I wasn't seeking it, mm. but it, it, it came because of the transformation, I think, in part, to, to serve others. And every day I need to remind myself that my objective here is to find a way to make their life better because they've had an experience or encounter with me. Sure. So how can I do that? That's one. Okay. Second is, uh, and I think we've touched on this a little bit earlier too, pray for a mission that's bigger than the task of your job. We get so tunnel focused on what we need to do. Here's the stuff I need to do, blah, 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 blah. And, and our prayers are, Lord, help me be successful in what I need to do. Help me get through all of my stuff. Help me whatever with whatever's in front of me. And we don't think broadly about that. How are you using what I'm in to serve a greater need or take me to a different place? And so we need to pray for a mission that's more transcendent than the task that we're currently working on. That's... That's good. Because making something missional, that's probably more of a why question. It is a why question. I like that. And it gets us back to seeing the mystery right. and asking God to unfold that and to say, you know, you're you're going to conceal things. It's your glory to do that. And it's my glory to search things out. Separating. It's basically changing the question rather than what am I here to do? Why am I here? Right. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. What else? Right. Third, recruit others to your mission. You know? Uh, find ways to think more broadly than what you're you're doing hmm. and uh, find ways to engage others in that and meet people perhaps that might be like-minded in that. Hmm. You know, there's always going to be, once God starts revealing something that might be more transcendent than the role that you're currently playing, recruit others hmm. and, and find others that might have the same mindset. Okay. Fourth, develop an exit plan. Always have an exit plan to whatever you're doing. Okay. Whether it's your own job or your own work, your own business or somebody else uh, working for somebody else, just knowing that you have the volition and the volitional choice to stay or not stay mm. enables you to stay in a way that's of service. If you feel like you're under obligation, you will become resentful. And when you become resentful, you become disengaged mm. and, the, and then you're not counterculture anymore. But always look for a way in which you can say, you know what, uh, um, I don't have to do this. There are plenty of other things I can do. 
and identify that you've got an exit plan. Know that you've got that volition. Is that kind of like having one foot in, one foot out though? No, it doesn't need to be. You, in fact, it gives you freedom to know once you've said that and set that aside, you can say, no, I'm going to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. And if, if it doesn't work and it doesn't work out or if it, it, it isn't where I believe God is calling me to, I'm going to cultivate that other option. So it's almost like setting up your expectations in a way. It's reminding yourself that you have volition. Mm. You, you are not a slave to where you're working. Mm. Uh, whether it's your own job. In many years, I felt even in my own business, I was a slave to my own business. And, I, and one morning I'm like, what am I thinking? <laughs> I mean, the, but I felt that way. You know sure. what I'm saying? And I couldn't help the feeling that way. Yeah, but oh, but the truth it. of it is not true. I yeah. mean, the truth of it is, wait a minute, it's my business. I can do what I want with it. Yeah. Who's going to tell me I can't, yeah. you know? The other but, you. <laughs> the other me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the last thing is a very simple thing, but I think so transformational. And that is just create a gratitude journal. Mm. And it doesn't need to be the kind of journaling that I do every day, which is three pages of writing. It yeah. can be just very simply get a little notebook that is nothing but your gratitude journal. And one day, every day, write down at least one thing you were thankful for. I love the five-minute journal. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It's like the gratitude. They, they ask very simple questions. It's, yeah. You know, uh, what would make great today great again? You do your daily affirmations, I am, and you write three points. So yeah. if, you, if anyone needs a good template, the five-minute journal there you is go. pretty epic. I there you go. It. Well, it's, it's no simpler template, too, than just to write down, here's one thing I'm thankful for today. Yeah. And it conditions you. It conditions you to start seeing things that you can be thankful for. That will be transformational in your attitude. And it changes your perspective on the things that you have and the circumstances that you're in and the people that you're surrounded by because it forces you to see the positive rather than the negative. Exactly. It's good. I like that. Any other final thoughts, any other takeaways you want to give to people, any inspirational rah-rah message you want to end <laughs> with, Larry? No, other than just to say, you know, some of the boldest and courageous things you could do maybe is just to get up and decide that you're going to do today differently. Mm. That you're going to say today is the is the day I'm going to be more like Jesus in my workplace to whatever extent He is able to let me see where I can serve, where I can decide I'm going to give others comfort and others praise. Um, that is a, perhaps one of the most bold ideas that we could deploy in our lives. I love it. Well, if you guys enjoyed this as much as I did, uh, you can find our show notes at boldideapodcast.com forward slash 54. We'd love to hear from you. However you want to engage with us, it'd be great, whether it's social media or even if you want to call us 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. If you want to leave a review, that'll be in our show notes too, boldideapodcast.com forward slash review. And uh, if you want to sign up for our blog again just do that at boldideapodcast.com and uh, please as always help us spread the word we want to get our ministry this podcast and our family growing so that we can continue to help people uh, just like me even who struggle with making work great again uh, so if uh, you want to be engaged with us that's your way boldideapodcast.com so until next time this is Armin Asadi and Larry Gates saying farewell You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.